Welcome back to Tectotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Noah Rosenberg. He's a entrepreneur, thinker, technologist. This is Technotopia. This episode of Technotopia is brought to you by Walk2. Walk2 is a new app that gives you deals when you walk to local businesses. Walk2 wants to get you off the couch and walking, so it invites you to walk to a new yoga class, walk to a great sandwich, or walk to happy hour. You can download it at walk2.co. That's W-A-L-K-T-O dot C-O. Walk2. Let's go. Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. Today on the show, we have Noah Rosenberg. Uh, he's a founder, he's a technologist, uh, and he's entering into the world of exciting world of consulting. Uh, but previously, you were in startups, and you actually ran a startup for a little while. Isn't that right, Noah? Yeah, I've actually run a couple. So okay. my, yep. Go for it. Uh, yeah. yeah the, <laughs> most recently, I was uh, I had uh, last year started a, a company called Picasso um, and ran that for about a year, which was uh, using AI to create artwork. And looking at how these emerging technologies of machine learning um, can start to bridge into areas outside of what computers have normally been doing. Mm-hmm. So, so the the idea is that the that the app the app itself was one of the was one of the uh, the the apps that basically use machine learning to change images, right? But you're looking at things now uh, in terms of future technologies uh, that do the same thing for uh, more medium or or, or writing or or what are you what are you thinking about yeah exactly so i think what was so interesting and compelling about you know this application that made us want to dive into it and give it give a crack at it and understand the space better is um these new technologies this machine learning stuff is um sort of everybody kind of who's touched it all agrees this is the start of the fourth industrial revolution and I think it comes down to this idea that computers can now do things that not even the people who are creating the software understand mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, and so, you know, like our application specifically let you take a fine art painting and change the subject of it. So if you had Starry Night and that was, you know, a picture of sort of this landscape, you could change that and make that a picture of your dog. And it would rearrange all of those brushstrokes into the, into the subject that you choose. And what was so amazing or interesting about that is it would do it better than I would imagine it would doing it. And it would do it in a surprising way. And what's coming out of – yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean that's an interesting question. So it's a program and it's a computer and it's and – it's, and it's, the, the, out, the outcome is expected, right? You, 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 you feed in Starry Night and you get out a picture of a dog that's sort of melded with Starry Night. But the fact that it is surprising, the fact that it is aesthetically pleasing, and the fact that we as humans are moved both by Starry Night and by this new painting that appears is actually pretty interesting, right? Oh, absolutely. And the, and the fact that it, you know, it could have an outcome that we don't expect. You know, just this last week, uh, Google was revealing they have a new version of AlphaGo you know, that they were calling Master. And the response from the human players, the human sort of experts at Go has been really illuminating where they basically say for thousands of years, we thought we've understood Go and we've been wrong. Mm-hmm. The computer is showing us where the answers are and that there there's a whole layer of subtlety underneath all of this that we didn't even understand. Um, and I think one weird way of putting it, this is going to sound a little like trippy and philosophical, but if you think about computers as sort of being a subset of our 
daily life. It reminds me of that idea of like a dream within a dream. Computers were sort of originally designed within the structures that we could imagine, right? So in a in a dream, you think I can't dream of something that I couldn't perceive or see. Mm-hmm. Normally, you know, it's like when you try and do math in a dream and the numbers just don't add up because it's sort of that subset. And what this machine learning has done is actually broken out of that limitation. So now a computer, which is programmed by people, can play a game, which is created by people, on a level that people can't understand. And not only do we not understand like its tactics within the game, but the more and more, you know, that I've spent time talking to people in machine learning we don't even understand what's going on inside of the computer you know you sort of set it up and then it just rolls with it so that's that's an interesting point so they literally don't know what's going on in terms of in terms of how the how the machine quote unquote thinks but to what degree is it like is it i mean what's what's the what's the physical analog for that is it like i put a bunch of stuff into a test tube uh, I put a you bunch know, of stuff it, into a test tube, and something weird happened, and it was really cool. Yeah, like when you, so you, when you're putting stuff into a test tube, you're not you're generally making this stuff, right? You know, like even if you put water in there, you got it from somewhere. You didn't create the water. In this case, when with computers, and I can we can get into a little trouble with this with some of some computer scientists who want to act like they're you know that there's there's a better handle on it than maybe there is. Um, with with particularly these neural networks. There's uh, an aspect to them where the the training kind of happens, and it produces a result that is, in a sense, unknowable in the same way that uh, cryptography is unknowable. So you know, like if you have perfect encryption, um, it's just indistinguishable from noise. Mm-hmm. So you can't dip into it and see what's in there. You can't take a you know an encrypted message and look inside and and suss out what's going on without having all of the the keys required. So when you're doing these neural networks, after you set it up and you train it, it produces these things called, and just in general terms, they're called hidden layers. And in and kind of that's if you can go along with that idea that you can't dip into an encrypted message, you can't dip into these hidden layers and know what's going on in there. That's why they're called hidden. They're just sort of this this flow or structure of the network. And you can kind of visualize how they were built. So you can, you know, run a signal through it and get something back out. But to actually understand that code, it it sort of writes itself. So you can't ask the alpha the the, the main thing is you can't ask the alpha go thing why it made a certain move. There isn't there isn't sort of a back probe that determines why it decides to put the white piece where it did. Mm-hmm. And, and it just only knows how to do that by watching tons and tons and tons of Go. And it discovered some underlying structure of that game that people don't understand and probably never will. So I guess it's I guess we can equate it more to I, I'm I I always bring it back to this to this idea of the, the physical analog. But I think that's that's one of the ways to think about it. Like those those antennae that are just, that are designed by AI uh, for very specific purposes, and they all look like they look like I don't know sea anemones because they're so they're so weirdly built, uh, but they're perfect for that specific situation. So if you put that antenna on top of your car, you're going to get perfect reception for your car in a certain area for a certain type of wavelength, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the computer, yeah. the computer solves for a very complex problem that humans generalize on. Is that is that what we're thinking about? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, I was, and you've had other guests on who kind of talked about, um, 
you know, front front of the brain versus middle of the brain kind of problems where the, the front of the brain isn't very good at this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can add and maybe slightly multiply with the front of your brain and then it kind of, you know, it gets gets tired. But the middle of your brain can do calculus. Like you throw a ball up and catch it. That's calculus. I think what's going on is these systems are mirroring that sort of middle of the brain idea where there's just intense uh, complexity going on there, but the system itself is so complex that they can kind of resonate and come out with an answer. Um, but to bring it back to something, you know, sort of concrete and t- like, so what's mm-hmm. the takeaway of all sure. of this and how does this relate to sort of our next 18 months or sort of like, if you're going to, you know, I always you, say 20 years, but it sounds like, it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like we're getting, we're going to have robots uh, teaching us how to play, uh, how to play. I don't know. Well, there, there already is a robot that played civilization. I interviewed the guy who made a robot that was playing free civ really well. Yeah. Was uh, he using reinforcement learning? I believe so. Yeah. So it was basically, yeah. it was basically just watching and playing uh, constantly and it was getting really good. And you could watch the thing kind of like it, it, it had a few, it had a few missions and if it, and its mission was not to fight. So it would always avoid, it would always avoid combat. Yeah. And then you have, uh, I mean, there's like a robot now that can do driving in Grand Theft Auto five, mm-hmm. um, self-driving car. And I think, you know, <laughs> On the first level, you go, okay, that's going to make better AI for video games. But take a step back and realize how how realistic the graphics are of that game. Mm-hmm. It's training a self-driving car. And as Grand Theft Auto 6 becomes more realistic in a sort of f- f- um, forced simulation, right, like mm-hmm. created simulation, it still can create an emergent self-driving car behavior out of that. So that basically you get a thousand computers playing Grand Theft Auto Six. <laughs> you're training your, you're training your self-driving car, and you don't need to put any actual um, people or you know material in jeopardy or have that big of an investment. And that one little uh, insight then gets applied across the spectrum to any number of activities that you want a computer to do. So we're you know like we're we're worried about. Um, What's going to happen to our jobs in the future? Like our jobs will become training these computers to be smarter than us. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a thing that was like it could simulate the sound of anything that you would tap because these guys went out and they you hit hit a billion different things with a drumstick and made a video of it. And then they just <laughs> fed that into the computer and it just figured it out. So from then on, they could they could add the, the appropriate sound effect. Um, yeah, I think, not, I think, yeah, I think I saw something similar. It was sort of like it the, – the, uh... The the it would watch a video and know that a bird would always make a tweet tweet noise. So any bird that it saw would immediately make a tweet tweet, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so that feels like something where you go, "That's neat," but what's the application? So I think the interesting thing about your experience is that you have been on the bare metal with this stuff. You've been you you when, when you ran uh, when you ran your your app, mm-hmm. uh, you were using heavy duty machines to create. Which is, I mean, stuff that's essentially frivolous, frivolous art. I guess you could yeah. say you're not. It's not like it's not like these are th- hanging in the Louvre just yet. Uh, but you used heavy duty machinery to build something that that somebody's just doing on a whim. So yeah. what happens when that heavy duty machinery gets smart enough and fast enough uh, to do everything on a whim? That we can we can train self driving cars, we can feed it a bunch of animated gifts so it can learn what's funny, uh, all kinds of goofy stuff. Uh, I, I think that is the key question. You know, there's this um, <laughs> there's this battle sort of between the idea of artificial general intelligence, which is you know data from Star Trek, mm-hmm. like it's a 
an Android that you live with. And we all have that fantasy because, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a servant is sort of the mentality is, you know, we, 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 we have this sort of idea that we would like to feel powerful and have something doing what doing for us. Mm -hmm. And that would make us feel better as people. Um, and also doing things that we're not willing to do or not able to do like fix Chernobyl. That'd be mm -hmm. nice. You know, you could have, but, um, so that's, on the one hand, you have artificial general intelligence, which is sort of the recreation of people. And then you have artificial narrow intelligence, which is change the subject of a work of art, um, which feels frivolous at a point, you know. And then on the other hand, what it actually does is make all other art frivolous, which sure, is a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, if you look at that, like value, value is coming out of scarcity and difficulty in art, you know, the painting and canvas, like. Mona Lisa as a as a artifact not painted and not hanging in a museum would would probably have been burned by now right for fuel, mm -hmm. but uh, because of its historicity and everything that humans give to it, it seems important. And what's what's really interesting is computers can um, now be our aid in providing plenty in a way or, or removing scarcity in a way. Um, but is but, that is that what we humans want? I mean, where do we, yeah. we value, we value the scarce. Uh, yeah. So if any robot can make something similar to the Mona Lisa that imply, that gives the same sort of aesthetic pleasure as a Mona Lisa, then where else, where do we get our next aesthetic pleasure? I mean, that the, to, <laughs> right. to, to be, to, to be talented in art required a lot of training, but if the robot can recreate the experience by modifying a photograph we're in a world where that that talent is no longer valuable so you not only are we running out of truck driver we're not gonna have truck drivers anymore. we're not gonna have artists anymore uh on on some level you know but then then we'll also have uh a, a greater level of consumers of art because it's more accessible and more common so it's really hard to go to um to the Louvre and see the Mona Lisa. And it's really hard to learn why that's important. And it's really hard to develop a background as a painter to try and recreate it and realize what must have gone into it and to understand the history and all those things are really hard. Um, so, you know, something that is more frivolous is also more enjoyable. And I think that's the other part of, of artificial intelligence is going to these narrow intelligences. A good example of that is exactly what you're bringing up, right? There's only one Da Vinci. And you could think about it as artificial general intelligence is trying to create another da vinci um but very very few people know anything about art just a little bit very few people actually know anything about anything mm -hmm. there's a great there's a great allegory about nobody knows how to make a number two pencil <laughs> because it's like the most common simple thing right sure. you imagine you know get some wood paint it yellow put that little metal thing on the end and stick on the eraser mm -hmm. uh and don't forget the lead but each of those things involves 50 to 100 to 1,000 steps, and nobody uh, knows all of the different steps for each of those ingredients and how to put them all in place. It's just that they're, they're we're, you know, like we're, we're um, ants in a colony. We're each just knowing our own narrow little understanding of a component, mm -hmm. and they come together to contribute to a useful whole. And so I think, you know, the idea of artificial general intelligence not only may never happen, but isn't necessary because the combination of a bunch of these very narrow intelligences are going to start to subsume and take over uh, in ways that we don't expect.
and in ways that we're not anticipating. And and there's there's just an infinite number of examples to the point where it's like it's not even it's it's almost not even worth talking about. But you know you know you were saying about antenna design. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about things like you know video games. I was saying Grand Theft Auto Six, Grand Theft Auto Seven. Maybe people won't make it. Mm-hmm. Might just be made by a computer. Definitely Grand Theft Auto Ten, right? So. And, and and that doesn't even you know it means like oh well the graphics somebody used to sit and cl- make all these um, sculptures mm-hmm. to be able to make 3D models and then we got the software so now you can click to make 3D models and already now there you can just say I want to pick a model of a car and uh, and AI can build that for you. I guess even uh, William Gibson uh, he he sort of saw this before I think one of the what was it Mona Lisa Overdrive I guess uh, did you read that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this, oh, I mean, the whole idea was that the AIs were actually writing a soap opera, uh, and the, it was the only way that they could write the soap opera. Uh, the, the, it was the only way that, that humans could write the soap opera by giving it to computers because the comp, these storylines were, were feeding in on each other, and they were so complex that no human being could actually understand them. <laughs> so you needed this, you need yeah. this crazy AI. That's, I think there's, I think one of the one of the one of the offhand comments was that the AI was actually writing a cookbook, uh, but it was an endless cookbook. Oh yeah, well, who even needs a cookbook? You just want to um, sort of know what's in your kitchen, and it'll just say, "I feel like something Lebanese tonight," and mm-hmm. your recipe shows up. You know, you don't cook. The, yeah, the, even the idea of a recipe is kind of going to be lost in the next five, ten years as it just optimizes. Which is really interesting. You know, if you look at um, look at CES this year, everything was about Alexa. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about this idea of of a conversational interface. So, you know, do I want to talk to my computer? Is that what the point of Alexa is? Is that I can use my my mouth to you know direct it with words? But I don't think that's what's going on at all there. I think why people are interested in in Alexa and in those type of AI is that I want perfect intent. So, you know, you're using the cookbook. <laughs> Mine just turned on when I said that. Oh, Alexa just heard you. <laughs> so, uh, so it doesn't work yet. But um, you know, you're, you know, you're saying about like the cookbook example, which is that, you know, a different example is I can come home and 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 tell my wife, you know, what kind of day I had, and she might be able to make the exact meal that would make me f- feel better, mm-hmm. right? Or she can hear that and interpret that and say, I know what, you know, it's time for this. You you feel like a hamburger, right? And that level of intent isn't even spoken. The interface there doesn't even exist. It's a perceptive ability to understand the intent, predict what, based on you know my past experience, I might be interested in, and then take an action. And that's what we're hoping to have happen out of these quote-unquote conversational interfaces. I wouldn't call them conversational, but maybe more predictive or, in, or intent-based. And so in that way, the whole interface can start to disappear. Um, and I think hopefully that that's the dream and that's a trend that we see going on from a business perspective. That's really cool. And it's also really hard, um, because God, I think that some of the two biggest news stories today were, um, Amazon's going to hire a hundred thousand people in the next eight months. So we're, we're living in this sort of, um, you know, there's that, there's that idea that business kind of just goes between bundling and unbundling. In, in cycles, right? So, so um, you know, you see kind of all the companies buying each other up. It is sort of one end of the wave, and then the un, which leads to a new unbundling where there's more opportunity and people can come in 
where that stuff isn't happening. When I look at something like an Alexa, I can't make an Alexa. Mm-hmm. You know, no, obviously I'm I'm not even in you know I live in St. Louis, so I have a little bit like uh, resource constrained. But no matter where I am, I want to get started. I can't as a as a founder say you know what i really want a speaker that can listen to me and ship me items right like that's so complex and so hard to get to and these companies that can do it are getting larger and larger and larger so you're seeing this this the hill of the bundling getting so high right um and if you think about the curve of the market it's sort of like all all of the jobs that are left are these making something that's 90% good mm-hmm. 91% good Hmm. That idea of sustaining innovation. So as a as a founder, I right now, and if I, if I want to play in any of those spaces um, and survive, you want to try and help somebody else make something that's ninety percent good, ninety one percent good. Just hmm. ch- trying to chip away at those spaces, and then as they hit sort of that asymptote around, I don't know what it is, like ninety five percent, according to like Clay Christensen. Then we'll have a new thing that barely gets the job done that came out of nowhere that we didn't expect and then we realize we prefer. I think I think you know looking out at the next 18 months right now, it's going to be harder and harder to start a new company to to bridge that time as this bundling is happening because I can't compete with 100,000 people at Amazon. Yeah. Do we do so the 90 to 91? Can we ever approach 100 and? Or when you hit up, when you hit closer to 100, does everything reset? Well, you think you have 100 in certain places, right? Like your electricity. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, I mean, what do you want out of your outlet? It's pretty much doing what you want. Um, well, internet, I mean, look, so no, so look, so, so let we, but but well, we can we can assume. So that's that's a that's an interesting point. 100, percent it's it's 100 percent great for the purposes of plugging something in and getting power out of it. And then, then you have, then you have a fairly commoditized system for, for getting the right, the right amperage and the right uh, voltage out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but what if I want it slightly smarter? What if I want to reduce my, if, what if I want to reduce my usage as it stands right now, it's an all or nothing proposition. My entire computer room is either on or it's off. If I, if I flip a switch to do anything granular is kind of a pain in the butt. Now it's back to no, zero. Okay. That's a great example because what happened is exactly, right? So electricity, there was a time when you could start your small town power company. Mm-hmm. And now the idea is like insane, right? Like how are you going to build a coal plant? How are you going to get, you know, a billion dollar dynamo or a nuclear power? Like it's just from from starting from scratch, it just doesn't make any sense. But what happened with power is look at your phone. Mm-hmm. It's it it is only on the grid for, you know, twenty minutes with, while you're charging it, and then it has its whole own power infrastructure. So batteries kind of came in and said, like a battery, you can't power your house with little batteries. Mm-hmm. Like, that was that was nuts. If somebody said to you, you know, quit your um, quit your what is it, uh, Com Edison or whatever you have, and and just get double A batteries, you yep. tell them to go pound sand. <laughs> <laughs> But that happened, and it happened really slowly by each little entrant having just a little bit um, more convenience for you. You know, so you started putting batteries in almost everything, and mm-hmm. now if you, that was the other trend at CES was like everything's wireless. There are uh, TV projectors now. Oh, just pick it up and move it to the other room. Yeah, you know, uh, your printer now has a battery in it. It doesn't need, you know, so you charge it and you put it wherever you want. Like things that don't even need it are now sort of slowly leaving that grid. And um, 
you know, so that goes to that back to that whole bundling and unbundling thing where, you know, you then where's batteries going to go? Well, then the gigafactory is going to come online and like, okay, now I can't compete in batteries anymore. There's going to be no way I can beat that in efficiency if I wanted to invent a new battery. It's like I just got to play in their system. Um, so I would say like, you know, that that approaching that asymptote is really interesting. And I think for the other challenge to people who are trying to start stuff is is a question of timing. Um, it, it doesn't always benefit to be the first, you know, I, I think it benefits the market and there's value there and there's personal value in, in your life in doing it. But as far as like startups are concerned, we're, we're in a space where more, you know, um, SoftBank just was saying they're going to do a billion dollar fund. Mm-hmm. Um, no, hundred billion, hundred billion, yeah. it's hundred billion and 75% of that's going to go to big companies. Um, so like, you know, so there's 75 billion that's not touchable by any actual probably founder anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just only available to boards and larger companies, right? So as an individual, you can't say I'm going to get access to that. Um, so from from a startup perspective, I think what, what we're going to start seeing are people not expecting necessarily to become a unicorn. There, there In the last five years, it felt like if it was equivalent to the music industry, it felt like sort of the idea was, you know, don't open your mouth and start singing unless you think you're going to be Katy Perry. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. Like, don't try a thing unless you think you're going to have massive ultimate success. Interesting. I, you know, I couldn't I couldn't even like get you to write about it. Right. If it didn't seem like it was on that tar- uh, on that path. Well, I mean, um, I think I, I think I've been a uh, I, I one of my specific things that I always try to do is I make sure that. I don't assume that that everything has to be on that path. If it's a cool idea, yeah. I'd rather I'd rather write about the cool idea than write about somebody who raised five million dollars to, I don't know, build the next point of sale terminal for a restaurant. God bless <laughs> them. Yeah, right, right. But unless that's you're not you're not curing cancer. I mean, I I would I would much prefer to see something like uh, I'd much prefer to see something like you guys building a app that makes art uh, than somebody who worked at a call center and wants to slightly improve the call center process. Yeah, it's I and I think that's the that's the tough challenge over the next maybe 18 months uh to I I don't want to go further out than that cuz who the heck knows what's going to happen but mm-hmm. is is um you know how do we incorporate that into a world where it is so hard to compete. It is so hard to get visibility. Like we hit number 13 on the App Store. Mm-hmm. Which to me is like that could be enough, you know. If you were a musician and you did that, everybody would, yeah. would you know, you'd, you'd be made, right? Or you would think so at least. Um, but it's there's so many players out there that it lasts a day and then it comes and goes, and and um, you, you sort of miss it because of that massive distribution. So I think there has to be a level setting on saying like that that counts as ringing the bell, uh, and that um, in the same way that you know there so many people writing books now, but they're not all worried about being JK Rowling. Mm-hmm. They're worried about making a, their contribution to a larger system. I think we'll start seeing that with startups for a while where it's like the idea of even hitting a $10 million valuation has been considered small mm-hmm. in the last five years, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I mean, like I, every time I was like, 
what life is this where I feel like this is, you know, mid range <laughs> when you do these, you know, huge numbers and things. <laughs> and um, I think we're going to see that probably more is there'll be more and more smaller things and more and more people setting their sights on, um, sort of metrics from even a hundred years ago, right? Like a hundred years ago, their, their futurists were saying, you'll be able to write a letter and a hundred people could read it. <laughs> like that, that would be an achievement. <laughs> if you got a hundred reads on your blog post, you'd hang it up. Yeah, of course I'd quit. Yeah. So I think, you know, within scope and scale of how you can reach people and change their minds, that's uh, it's a really interesting time. Um, but you know, then, then you have this like machine learning stuff, which is almost purely academic right now. It is getting applied to big companies and every company is sort of like building their research office because they see that, you know, three years down the line, if, if, if they don't start now, they're going to be in deep water. Um, but most of the breakthroughs are happening academically. You know, there's a, there's a site called Archive, A-R-X-I-V, where every day you can go on there and go, I had no idea computers can do this. <laughs> there's a guy who makes celebrity pictures smile. <laughs> I don't know why we care about that. Yeah. There's a guy who takes the background out of pictures. There's another person who can take the shading off of a photo. So you imagine like, you know, you'd have the solid colors, like, oh, those are blue jeans. Mm -hmm. And he can separate out the highlights and shadows from that. And you go, well, what is that for, right? And every single day, there's a new thing coming out um, that blows your mind in that same way. And they're all just sort of like, here it is. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to end up with this beautiful new box of crayons with which you can build new solutions in terms of um, what's out there and what's available and what's been figured out, none of which are on their own um, significantly important, mm -hmm. but in the combination in the solutions that you'll build using all of them, I think you know we're going to see stuff coming out in the next, even even the, just this year that is going to blow our minds as far as like, I didn't know that it could exist and I don't know why it should exist. Okay, <laughs> but I can't wait to find out. All right, well this this has been one of my favorite episodes. You you have you've you've given us a lot to think about. I think. I think somebody who's uh, who's deep in the technology is really valuable uh, for talking about something like this because the as everybody knows the future just isn't uh, adequately distributed. So on archive or, or or in or in in your head it's basically right there. But for the rest of the world they're going to be looking at uh, cars that have been trained inside of uh, inside of Grand Theft Auto Six. Uh, <laughs> coming out in 10 years and you're like, how did this happen? Like, well, we just ran a bunch of robots through, uh, through which Liberty city and, uh, and just avoided hitting people as often as we could. And, uh, and we, and we got it. That's pretty I, cool. Absolutely. So yeah. no, where can people find out where you, uh, what you're working on? Oh, I, uh, I think the best place is probably Twitter. I'm at N Rose N R O S E on Twitter. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, other than that, you know, uh, just general internet stuff, and hopefully, you know, I always say if I'm if I'm not if I'm doing it right, you'll hear about it. Mm -hmm. so. All right, very cool. All right, so Noah Rosenberg, thank you for joining us on Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. <laughs>